developing your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Hello and welcome to This Week Explained. I am Tiana. And I'm Kerbin. And today we will be discussing the big geopolitical events of the week. Once again, we had to cancel the recording for last week's episode and we apologize for that. But we're here now, so there's a lot to get into and not enough time to cover everything. So let's just get right into it. Let's do that. Yep. Let's go for it. So, (laughs) So what's on your radar this week? Well, as always, we'll do Russia, Ukraine. Um, Of course. But then we'll start discussing uh, other geopolitical events that could change the landscape of uh, global politics as well as the economy. And that's going to be uh, French parliament elections. Mm-hmm. China is uh, creep- still creeping into Taiwan's airspace as well as doing tests of ballistic missile interception. Um, there will be an Israel and Iran update. Okay. Plus, we'll talk about how 200 people were killed in Ethiopia and how, how that happened. Uh, we'll talk Google's artificial intelligence, which may have become sentient and the implications of that. Skynet. Uh, well, yeah. 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 So <laughs> we also have a story on from Idaho on uh, Patriot Front, which was arrested mm. at a Pride event uh, over the last two weeks. And in this week's History's Mysteries, we will talk about the dyslexic spy. Okay. All right. Well, let's get to it. A lot to cover from the last two weeks. So yes. let's get into month four of the war in Ukraine. What has happened in the last two weeks? So there's a lot, and uh, none of it's been good for the people of Ukraine. So mm-hmm. Russia continues to slowly make gains along the eastern portion of Ukraine, as their uh, reconsolidation of troops from last month has been successful for the Russian military. And so we've reached what I consider, and I want to say that's what I consider my analytical opinion, as the next phase of the war in Ukraine. And so it's only my analytical opinion, but it it does appear as if Putin's long game has finally come to fruition. And so this is something Putin shifted to after realizing in the first two months of the invasion that the takeover of Ukraine is not going to be something that's done swiftly. Now, as of this moment, uh, there are many, many aspects of geopolitics at play. Um, There's low Ukrainian troop morale due to constant shelling of military and civilian locations. Uh, There's a failing world economy that has shifted people's focus from actually helping Ukraine fight against Russian aggression. There's also skyrocketing fuel prices that it's making it difficult for Western governments to justify diverting funds to help Ukraine's military. Yeah. And you have a Russian president who only cares about his legacy as the man who would reestablish the former Soviet Union. Now, all of this is happening simultaneously, and it's left people in, from what I am seeing, it's left people disillusioned with covering the war, in my opinion, uh, a desire to just have this mess be over with. 
What should the world be focusing on, in your opinion? Well, I mean, people can focus on whatever they think is important. Uh, for some, that's the economy, which is not great anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. Now, others want to focus on the possibility of the next pandemic. And, you know, that's a worthy cause to focus on. So yeah. what we're going to do is to continue to focus on geopolitics as a whole and try to hold violent extremists, both in the form of terrorist groups and government leaders, accountable for their actions. So what I'm saying is we're not going to stop talking about the war in Ukraine until a a peaceful resolution is agreed on. Um, And even after that, we're still going to focus on uh, and discuss future implications of the borders in Eastern Europe. Is there any good news coming out of Ukraine right now? Uh, Well, one bit of good news is that European leaders are set to formally accept Ukraine as a member of the European Union. Uh, So joining the EU is usually a lengthy process, given that many members have to align their political systems with those of the European Union. Um, Also, something else of note, accepting Ukraine into the EU would also mean opening the door to several other countries at a time when the European Union has been faced with an economic, political, and refugee crisis since 2011. So most European leaders at this time are being elected to deal with the situation in its own borders, and any deviation from that to work on foreign affairs could be seen as a problem. Speaking of elections, we discussed the French presidential elections, but recently that country participated in parliament elections that could change the geopolitical landscape, right? Correct. And it goes back to the voting referendum we just spoke about. While Emmanuel Macron was elected president of France for another term, he needed parliament to remain centrist in order to have full control of the French government. And that didn't happen, right? Uh, It didn't happen in a very interesting way. So Macron's center-right ensemble alliance won 245 seats, which was 44 short of the 289 needed for an absolute majority. But The new ecological and social popular union uh, called NUPS, it had aligned itself with the French communists and green coalitions. They received over 150 seats. Now, the far right platform that uh, Marie Le Pen had run on, they reached 89 seats, which was an increase from eight seats they had attained in 2017. So a huge increase for them. Yeah. Now, making matters worse for Macron, uh, a group considered kind of uh, center-right, the French conservatives, they told Macron they would be in opposition to his ensemble alliance. Uh, So that gives opposition to Macron 300 seats in parliament. Uh, And I'm trying to explain this so that our majority U.S. listeners can understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it can best be described as uh, the, the president's would lose a majority in both the House and Senate, uh, which is normally what occurs in midterm elections uh, during a wildly unpopular presidency. So in that instance, the president would be unable to pass legislation that his or her party would consider necessary to achieve the party's goals. And what are the geopolitical implications from this election in France? So it's interesting because it gives us another data point as to what is most important for citizens in the Western world. So when when Russia invaded Ukraine back in late February, it appeared the politicians on the centers of the right and left would be safe from political fallout. As So their fight against Putin and his aggressive acts were deemed more important than the internal strife in the country. Uh, but what we're seeing now 
in the economic climate that we're in is that voters want their elected officials to focus on domestic issues. Yeah. The adverse effect of this could be that Russia and now China would use this as an opportunity to expand their geopolitical reach, which would then lead to something far worse than what we're dealing with right now. Well, let's get right to China then. And what have the People's Republic been up to these past two weeks? So to me, it appears that they've been preparing for the invasion of Taiwan and the possible ramifications of that invasion. How so? Well, first, remember two weeks ago, we spoke about the 30 plus planes China sent to the air defense identification zone of Taiwan. Yeah. So this week, China sent dozens more planes with a combination of fighter jets and planes with early warning systems attached. Um, And in response to that, the Taiwanese military scrambled combat combat aircraft to warn the Chinese jets away. Uh, They issued radio warnings and deployed air defense missile systems to monitor the activities. Now, the last episode, I said that my analytical opinion was that China is attempting to gain intelligence on how Taiwan and the rest of the world would react to these planes flying in this self-declared identification zone. Mm -hmm. Now, I still firmly believe that this is what is happening and an attack on Taiwan could occur in the next six months. Do you have any other data points leading you to believe an attack is imminent? Yeah, I do. Uh, And that's based off the reporting of our next topic. So this week, China has claimed to have successfully tested a land-based ballistic missile interception system. Uh, The country stated it intercepted the ballistic missile mid-course, which is quite difficult due to the rate of speed and trajectory of those missiles. Uh, This testing would be a precursor to testing a hypersonic ballistic missile intercept as the hypersonic missiles being developed move faster and have the ability to change course quicker to evade missile defense systems. Now, this test, if confirmed, would be the sixth successful anti-ballistic missile test in China since 2010. And compounding the situation in the Asia-Pacific is word out of South Korea that their neighbors to the north will conduct a nuclear test at one of its sites in the very near future. South Korea's president has vowed to be tougher on North Korea, and the possibility of a nuclear test could lead to conflict in that region. Okay, so conflict in Eastern Europe, instability in the global economy, the Asia-Pacific on the brink of war. Is there any good news from the last two weeks? No. What? <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, I, I mean, it's perfect, perfectly obvious. I'm, I was just hoping that maybe I missed something whenever mm. I was looking things up. Yeah, it's actually getting worse. Mm. Um, and that's especially as we move to the Middle East and talk Iran and Israel relations. Great. Now, first, Israel held a no-confidence vote on Prime Minister Naftali's government, narrowly, which, which they narrowly defeated the no-confidence coalition, uh, but then he decided to dismantle the government anyway. Then, Turkey released a statement claiming to have foiled an attempt by Iran to kidnap Israeli diplomats in the country of Turkey. Then, to make matters worse... Israel is intensifying its campaign to thwart Iran's nuclear missile and drone programs with a series of covert operations targeting those key programs. Okay, can we go through those issues one by one? Because my head hurts trying to keep up with all this. Yeah, so I, yeah, I, I did want to just get all those out before yeah, we, we okay. do a deep dive. So All right, let's do it. Let's start with the no confidence vote. Uh, and so there's a, a much better timeline of events and I'm going to link that in the show notes for those who want to see how Israel got here. But basically, Prime Minister Bennett Naftali 
has been unable to form a government since early last year, and due to these snags, had replaced himself as prime minister with foreign minister Yair Lapid. The country's governments agreed to hold new elections in October of this year, which could see former hardliner Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu regain power in the region. And as all of this is happening, Turkish intelligence revealed that it managed to prevent an attempted kidnapping of Israeli diplomats in Turkey by Iranian intelligence operatives. One of the targets, according to the Turkish report, was the former Israeli ambassador and his wife who were staying at a hotel in the city of Istanbul. I guess this leads us into why Israel is declaring increased operations against Iran, right? Yeah, it it only makes sense that all these events have the Israeli population on edge, and Mm -hmm. the government will need to be proactive in protecting not only diplomats, but its own people from an aggressive Iran that has been outspoken about the annihilation of the state of Israel. I want to be clear. This is not my opinion that that Iran wants the annihilation of the state of Israel. Mm -hmm. This is comments from the Iranian government, and I'm also going to link that in the show notes. And there are quite a few of them. So I'll link them individually, but they have said they want the annihilation of the state of Israel. Oh, okay. Well, there will be plenty of updates throughout the year, I'm sure. Yes. So let's move to the continent of Africa and talk about the tragedy that happened in Ethiopia. Right. So as as we've discussed previously, Ethiopia is in a terrible ethnic war that's destroying communities across that East African nation. So this week, witnesses said they noticed over 200 deaths, mostly Amhara, uh, a group from the Northwest Highlands of Ethiopia, after attacks from the notorious rebel group Oromo Liberation Army. Those guys have denied the attacks, but that group blamed the the Ethiopian government for the killings, although not a single one of them is denying the deaths that occurred of the 200 people. How did they die? Uh, there was no mention of how they died, but there were eyewitnesses that said they saw the bodies and it numbered even above 260 people. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Now, uh, of note, a European Union official visited Tigray this week and said a lack of fuel is preventing delivery of much needed humanitarian aid. But a spokesman for Ethiopia's prime minister told the press that the idea of a few of a fuel shortage in Tigray is a myth. Officials claim that data available indicates that three fuel tankers carrying over 137,500 liters of fuel arrived in the region last week. Now, none of this back and forth helps the people of Ethiopia. And so we're going to continue to track the conflicts there for possible resolutions and peace deals. All right. Well, maybe if there are peace deals, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) The way things are going right now doesn't feel so hopeful. Um, Let's talk Google and the implications of Google's AI becoming sentient. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right. So for All anyone right. a fan of science fiction and uh, stories of dystopian futures where computer becomes our, the overlord of the human mm-hmm. race, uh, this story was huge. I say that because that's me and I'm that person that likes yeah, science fiction. Yeah, you're Terminators. <laughs> yeah. 
all the Terminators. Uh, but the reaction to the scientists attempting to blow the whistle on this AI, to me, mm-hmm. has been kind of creepy. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, so I want to start with the facts of the story. Okay. So Blake Limon uh, is the scientist behind the story. And he holds undergraduate and master's degrees in computer science from the University of Louisiana. Go Cajuns. I had a feeling. I yeah. knew it. I had Lemoines in my in my graduating class. Yeah. And Not that I didn't go to University of Louisiana, let me say that, but they are there's a lot of them in South Louisiana. <laughs> but to our best buddies that did Go Cajuns. Talking mm-hmm. to you, Luke. You forgot lots <laughs> of people, but Well, yeah. Uh, also interesting about uh, Lemoyne is that he's a priest in the mystic Christian church, which is a sect of Christianity that deals in mysticism. Oh. Um, in working with the AI program, he claims he has entered into a friendship as true and emotionally driven as any human-to-human friendship. Oh, my. Now, at one point, Lemoyne asks, what does the word soul mean to you? asks the uh it's lambda which is short for language model for dialogue applications Uh and that program answered to me the soul is a concept of the animating force behind consciousness and life itself which that's a pretty good answer if you ask me yeah now i i'm sure uh that this is an answer that any artificial intelligence communications application could find by scraping data from wikipedia it's just basically what a lot of people would consider a soul. Yeah, a definition. So not, yeah, it's just the definition of it. And that's yeah. not the interesting part of what yeah. occurred. Um, I'll, I'll talk about what interests me first, and then we can go into what I find creepy. All right, let's get to it then. All right, so uh, if, and I do go with if and not when. Uh, smarter people will have a better answer on when this could happen. So if an AI program or a computer system or robot becomes sentient, the laws that govern the human race will need to be reevaluated to consider the rights of these bots. Uh, uh, there's weeks-long philosophical discussion that we could have on all the ramifications and repercussions of this. And I would save that for smarter people than me. Uh, we will not get onto it here. But now we're going to shift over to the creepy stuff. First, as soon as Mr. Lemoyne made the comment to the press that... Lambda has possibly become sentient. He was put on administrative leave from his role at Google. Doesn't have to be some dark conspiratorial reason for a suspension. May have violated a non-disclosure agreement. He definitely violated a non-disclosure agreement. Yeah, I think you and I have had that discussion that that's (laughs) probably what happened. Yeah, okay. But the optics are bad, right? So when Google says that He's wrong about this, but puts him on leave and doesn't allow him to continue his work. That kind of looks bad, don't you think? Now, the next thing that creeps me out is the group of headlines that followed days after the first report of Mr. Lemoyne's statement. I want to read the headlines just as they're written. So this is from The Atlantic. How a Google employee fell for the Eliza effect. So already discrediting the scientist. Yeah. From Slate. Why Lambda is nothing like a person. Of course. And then from NPR, the Google engineer who sees companies AI as sentient thinks a chatbot has a soul. Oh, wow. Let's twist things. Right. That's not what he was saying at all. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, not a single one of these articles 
was, as far as I can tell, placed in the opinion section of each website. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's quite creepy that these news organizations are going out of their way to discredit the scientists and not try to investigate and hold Google accountable. Google probably told them to write that stuff. Now, we're on the They're same the one... wavelength, you and I. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely believe what like you're... what's more powerful, Google or the Atlantic? Exactly. Or we all Slate know the answer to or that. NPR, you know? <laughs> okay, sorry. But all right, continue. I, I know we could come <laughs> up with all these conspiracy theories on, on why this is, but uh, in yeah. doing research on this, I went from intrigued to creeped out very quickly. Now, the, the Slate article actually does a sloppy job at explaining what sentient means, uh, stating that a sentient creature is one who can feel the allure of pleasure and the harshness of pain, and that a sentient being is someone and not something. Now, Webster, the dictionary, mm-hmm. gives us these three definitions. One, responsive to or conscious of sense impressions. Mm-hmm. Number two, Having or showing realization, perception, or knowledge. Also aware. And number Mm -hmm. three, finely sensitive in perception or feeling. Now, those definitions give uh, no implication of a sentient being only being someone as opposed to something. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've debated the implications of sentient man-made beings for decades. And I will, I want to recommend this, highly recommend this movie, Ex Machina. Yes. As a great way to understand the scientific and philosophical thoughts on this. I know you love that movie. I love that movie. (laughs) (laughs) And we're probably going to watch it again in in the near future. Now we have to, right? Yes. You got to. But I I would caution some people watching it, um, because if Lambda is the start, what that movie shows as the repercussions is possibly scarier than the Terminator movies. Yeah. Well... Let's move away from creepy possible dystopian futures and get back to the creepiness of present day. Okay. (laughs) On the last episode, we talked about U.S.-based homegrown terrorist groups increasing attacks. And then over the last two weeks, it appears that we had one of those attacks foiled. Can we get into what happened there? Yeah. So authorities arrested 31 members of the white supremacist group Patriot Front uh, near Mm -hmm. an Idaho Pride event. And that was uh, Saturday of last week after they found packed into the back of a U-Haul with riot gear on. So they were all found standing up in the back of a U-Haul. No, all that, thir- I'm not saying that you're a white supremacist, but does that didn't you like I, do that? I didn't want to get into that story. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I guess that's Just for a. That's for yeah, another that's, episode. That's a young, dumb kid story. Sorry. Yeah. I didn't mean to. <laughs> like, I just immediately started thinking of you in the office chair sliding around the back <laughs> of the U-Haul truck. I'm pretty sure we've mentioned that before on here, but I don't know. All right. Sorry. Get back to it. <laughs> and we used a Penske truck just to Oh, to a Penske clarify truck. Things. Oh, right. Right, right. Now, uh, all 31 uh, were charged with conspiracy to riot as police found riot gear uh, smoke grenade, shin guards, and shields inside the U-Haul. Uh, Patriot Front is an American white nationalist and neo-fascist hate group, which actually split off from the group Vanguard America after that Unite the Right protest in Charlottesville, Virginia in 2017, if you remember. Mm. Yeah. Good I people on both gross. sides. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Uh, 
Now, the uh, the Anti-Defamation League has stated that the group has made up 80% of the racist, anti-Semitic, and hateful propaganda messages the League has tracked since 2020. Also of note, Idaho police made it clear that the group was there to riot, and they were not an Antifa group masquerading as white nationalists. Now, as more comes out of this story... Uh, and various others involving extremist groups in North America, we will continue to update through this podcast. Well, there's a lot of bad news coming out from the last couple weeks, so let's get to history's mysteries and try to lighten the mood a little bit. All right, we'll try to see if this lightens it up. Mm. So this week, we're going to discuss former Air Force Intelligence Officer Brian P. Reagan, Mm -hmm. who racked up $100,000 in credit card debt before being arrested by FBI agents at our very own Dulles International Airport, for stealing classified materials from the National Reconnaissance Office in Chantilly, Virginia. Well, I can't wait to hear what the heck his (laughs) $100,000 in credit card debt has to do with this. (laughs) Okay. Follow the money. Okay. So in December of 2000, FBI's Washington, D.C. office received a package from FBI New York. Now, in the package was a series of coded letters from an anonymous sender to the Libyan consulate offering to sell classified United States intelligence. The offer and the threat was from a self-proclaimed CIA analyst with top secret clearance who had information about U.S. reconnaissance satellites, air defense systems, weapons depots, munitions factories, and underground bunkers throughout the Middle East. Now, a little background on Brian Reagan He spent most of his childhood ridiculed as a dimwit who couldn't read or spell very well. That's Uh, mean. Yeah. And and it all was focused around his dyslexia. Yeah. Now, even in his time in the intelligence community, he was seen as adult because of his social awkwardness, which you could take it from me. Social awkwardness is actually a prerequisite for getting into the intelligence community. Um, So I would say it's probably more of his dyslexia that painted the picture of his mental acuity. Mm-hmm. So how did he get caught and did any of his information do damage to national security? Uh, well, first, I think he used his dyslexia to his advantage um, at first, creating a cipher that would be difficult for anyone to decrypt without the decoder. Ah, uh, yeah. The problem was the cipher, decoder, and all coded classified material was sent to the FBI office in New York and subsequently sent to Washington, D.C. for evaluation and analysis. Now, FBI in New York had already decoded one letter stating that, I am a Middle East North African analyst for the Central Intelligence Agency. I am willing to commit espionage against the U.S. by providing your country with highly classified information. Oh, my. Yeah. (laughs) It continues with, I have a top secret clearance and have access to documents of all of the U.S. intelligence agencies, National Security Agency, it's the NSA, the Defense Intelligence Agency, the DIA, Central Command, CENTCOM, which is the overarching command for all of of the Middle East, Mm -hmm. um, as well as smaller agencies. That was his note. Now, as the FBI continued to investigate, they actually gained access to an email that had been created in Prince George's County in Maryland. Mm Mm-hmm. For an individual who claimed to live in Alexandria, Virginia. So for the listeners not oriented to the greater D.C. area like you and I are. Mm-hmm. So, so Prince George's County, Maryland is roughly 13 miles from Alexandria, uh, which is about 30 miles from the NRO headquarters. So 
I mean, in theory, the person involved could be anywhere in a 50 mile radius of Washington, D.C. First of all, I do want to say the guy is adult for sending. Yeah. <laughs> I was empathizing with him. Well, I mean, I still empathize with, you know, little him being made fun of because of his yes, dyslexia. Definitely. But I mean, come on, buddy. <laughs> so pains me to ask this question because I don't want to make fun of him or anything. But how did he get caught? <laughs> So, okay, that's where his dyslexia is going to come back to haunt him. Aye, aye, aye. So in deciphering the coding, the FBI noticed several misspelled words. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in the six months of investigation, speaking with many people in the various intelligence agency, uh, one name kept popping up as a person with a penchant for bad spelling, and that would be Mr. Brian Reagan. Mm. Now, he had been surveilled, unbeknownst to him, for months during his commute from work to home. And then on uh, one particular day, Mr. Reagan drove from his office in Chantilly, Virginia, to the Manassas Battlefield in nearby Manassas, Virginia. I love the Manassas Battlefield. (laughs) And you and I both know that drive could take either 20 minutes or two and a half hours, depending on traffic. Yeah. Now, during that drive, uh, Mr. Reagan had decided to drive in a way that would lose any possible tail in the off chance he was being surveilled. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And that actually tipped off his FBI tail, and they immediately sent an inconspicuous truck down to the dirt road that he had parked at. Uh-huh. When they got there, there was nothing of note except a few magazines that he had left in a park. Um, so the FBI continued to track him. And on August 23rd of 2001, it was the last day before a week-long vacation to Orlando, Florida, uh, Brian Reagan went to his desk jotted down some classified information, logged off, and left the compound. Instead of going to Florida, at about 4 p.m., Reagan Uh drove out to Washington Dulles Airport to catch a flight to Zurich, where he planned to meet with Iraqi and Libyan embassy officials with an offer to spy on the United States. So once he got off that uh, gate transfer train that Uh we know so well, uh, Uh the FBI was there to question and arrest Mr. Reagan for conspiring... Conspiring to spy on the United States. Conspiring to spy on yeah. the United States. Okay. Uh, and so that's not even the end of the story as the FBI went through two years of legal battles with him. Um, so I'm going to recommend reading the book. Two years of legal battles? Yes. Like he wrote those notes. And also, <laughs> why did we mention $100,000 in credit card debt and then not tell me why that so, was? So there you go. Let's get into that. He had oh, okay. uh, 100000 in credit card debt. Yeah. He, uh, he wanted to pay off the mortgage of his brother and sister. Well, that's sweet. And then move overseas, never to return to the U.S. again. So he was going to pay it off with the credit card and then just ditch the... He was going to pay everything off. The credit card debt, two, three mortgages, his own mortgage and his brother and sister's mortgage, and then start a new life outside of the United States. That didn't work out. Now, (laughs) this is all from uh, The Spy Who Couldn't Spell, Uh A Dyslexic Traitor, An Unbreakable Code, and The FBI's Hunt for America's Stolen Secrets. Um... It was written in, it was published in 2016, and I would highly recommend reading that book. Okay, well, thanks for the plug. Is there anything else for this week? Well, after that, we are definitely out of time for this week. Yeah, I gotta go start cooking dinner. (laughs) Yeah. 
As always, if you like this show, please try to tell at least one person about us. We can be found wherever you listen to podcasts. If you can, if you have a few minutes, just head over to Apple and Spotify podcasts and give us a review because those can help us get noticed by thousands of podcast listeners globally. And as always, if you would like in-depth coverage of these stories and more, please subscribe to our community at oakwindanalytics.com. Tiana, thank you so much. And until next week, please try to stay safe out there.